0: Well, have you ever been caught in between two things? I remember one time I was caught between two black uh, mambas in Tanzania. That was probably the most harrowing time. Uh, I thought that uh, my son and my two, uh, my two year old son and myself, we were goners at that moment. But it turns out that those two mambas were a male and a female and had other interests in mind (laughs) at that time. But maybe you've been caught in between two other things. It could be that you're presently living in between vocations. You had a job and maybe it was a great job, but now you're training for service in and for the church and you're caught in between these vocations. Or maybe, and for many of you this is the case, you're caught between two different statuses. For example, you're an adult, but since you're in your 20s and you're not married, and or don't have any children, you're not treated as a full adult. You still have to sit with the children at the card table in the family celebrations. (laughs) I remember that feeling. I was a pastor at the age of 21. I was single at the time, and I remember no one in our church being entirely happy with the fact that I was single, and many very awkward conversations in which well-meaning mothers would pull me aside and say, have you considered my daughter? She is more (laughs) virtuous than any other woman in the world. You know, it was almost as if you you can't be single and be a pastor. You you know the feeling. I also remember I was viewed as a pseudo-pastor. Some people took my position seriously, others did not. One Christmas, I received a mug, a coffee mug, from one parishioner, that said, God bless you, pastor. Well, the senior pastor saw it and he confiscated it for himself, thinking that, of course, he's the only pastor in the church. He also recommended to me that my office should be in the church gymnasium. Have you ever experienced any of this? Living in between two things is filled with ambiguity, discomfort, awkwardness, looking ahead to the future. Maybe for some of you, you're caught in between family groups. Your parents are divorced and you are forced to navigate two separate families. For some of you, you're forced to live in between two different cultures. Maybe you've come from the overseas or you a different culture here in the United States and you are attempting right now to navigate two different cultural contexts. Living in between is not a feeling that many of us relish. We love to cling tightly to anything that gives us the slightest texture of solidity, like a room with four walls, a fixed identity handed down from our ancestors, a cultural group with solid boundary lines. However, living in between forces us to release any comfort of occupying a single place or status. It causes us to navigate between different poles. It forces us to embrace ambiguity or to be by becoming. Now let me say up front that living in between is something that's been forced upon me in my life. I'm a middle child. I know that says a lot right there. (laughs) I'm a faculty member and an administrator. I've lived in four different countries on three continents. We've moved internationally 11 different times. I often joke with people that I feel most comfortable in an international airport, right? I mean, no one really lives in an airport except Tom Hanks. (laughs) But um, it's this place of liminality, right? You know, Um, it's this place of in-betweenness. For example, I just returned from India, had 11 different flights and 11 different days. In a weird kind of way, and when I say these things, I open up for our counseling faculty to analyze me according to some (laughs) DSM metric, but I love that feeling of waking up and not knowing where I am. You see, in-betweenness can be terrifying, but it also can be exciting, and it can serve valuable purposes in our spiritual formation. So let me use this concept of living in between to meditate or to reflect upon where we are in the church calendar right now. We've experienced Advent, and we are looking forward to Holy Week. We're living betwixt Christ's incarnation and the cross and the resurrection. And let me suggest that there's important lessons that we can learn in living in between, or what N.T. Wright calls the middle bits of the gospel. Scripture's filled with in-betweenness, right? Exodus, exile, certainly Second Temple Judaism. These are all rich metaphors, images, resources for living in between. The entire 11th chapter of, of Hebrews describes with great detail these great men and women of Scripture and how they lived in between their present circumstances and longing for that heavenly city. And of course, we also today are living in between the already and the not yet of the eschatological kingdom, straining our necks, stretching our necks with creation, looking for the redemption of all things. And yet, despite all of these valuable resources in the middle bits of the Gospels, we still don't know what to do with them. Sometimes we want to move so quickly from one edge of Jesus' life to the other. I remember being in one church on a Christmas Eve, and we sang the song, From the Cradle to the Grave. And then the pastor concluded the service by reassuring parishioners that Easter was coming. Almost as if the incarnation unsettles us, and we need some kind of resolution or some kind of solidity. Or perhaps it's because of our understanding of salvation is only informed by the edges of Jesus' life and not what happens in between. And so we want to move from the incarnation to the cross. And listen to me, the cross is absolutely marvelous, but we want to move so quickly to get there. Of course, we see this in the great creeds of the church as well, for the Apostles' Creed moves quickly from born of the Virgin Mary to suffered under Pontius Pilate. And because of that, our understanding of salvation is based solely upon the margins of Jesus' life. And yet Paul says in Romans 5, we are saved by his life, which means his entire life. And let me plead with us, in order to live in this world that is ravaged by so much ugliness, we need all of Christ for all of this world. So let me reflect a bit on the middle bits of the gospel as we journey from Jesus' entrance into this world to the cross and the resurrection. And to do so, we'll ponder that great Christological hymn, found in Philippians 2, and examine two simultaneous movements that are happening in the Gospels. Now, before we get to the movements, Philippians 2, as we know, begins by talking about Paul, in which he's describing how we are to live in this world and especially how we are to relate with others. He stresses the centrality of the Holy Spirit, unity, love, humility, And then he points all of these to their origins in which he says, let the same mind or that way of thinking slash being be in you that was in Christ Jesus. These are powerful words for us as we begin a new semester. We've got quite a bit of life ahead of us in the next few months. Academic institutions in particular need to be reminded of Jesus since it's so easy for us to get caught up in the busyness, the papers, the strivings, the achieving, even the structures of our institution. So the great Christological hymn begins with first a movement downward, downward descent. The hymn says, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a doulos, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death on the cross." So what can we learn from Jesus in this downward descent? First of all, descent is rooted in the very nature of God. One of my professors and mentors in graduate school, Gerald Hawthorne, he translates this passage, and it was his favorite passage, and so I heard it all the time. He says, this is how he translates it. He says, precisely because he was in the form of God precisely because he was in the form of God. He did not consider equality or being equal with God something to be grasped or exploited. The kenosis of Jesus is not some strategy, it's not some program. It flows out of God's very nature. When we look to Jesus, we see the nature of God. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so we read the middle bits of the gospel in order to train ourselves in the character of God. For those of you who are struggling living in between different statuses, we need to reflect upon Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to clutch and hold or exploit for himself, but he gave and he kept on giving, being poured out for others. You will experience many temptations in this world, and perhaps even in this semester, to claim your rights, even those things that you have rightfully earned, and to use some of those to elevate yourself above others. The middle bits of the gospel shows us a different pathway. Whenever you want to be more than who you are, you become far less than God created you to be. The pathway of kingdom living is by releasing your rights and service to others and being poured out for others. And so second, descent is about a different status or an identity. He emptied himself, took the form of a doulos, being born in human likeness. Jesus doesn't take on statuses on and off like with some garment, but he empties himself. Now as someone who has done incarnational missions, I'm continually struck by the extent to which Jesus took on our status. All of my efforts, all of my agony of trying to live incarnationally in another culture were nothing compared to what Jesus has done. And he did it throughout his entire life. I'm reading right now the Gospel of Luke, and every morning I am just struck anew by how deep he goes into the human condition. We see it in his temptation experiences, where he rejects the quick pathway to glory, bypassing suffering, but instead chooses obedience. We observe it in his interactions with the Gentiles, marveling at their faith, where he lifts up women and children as the examples of the kingdom of God and where he associates with sinners. We observe it in his teachings, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, where he declares, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the merciful. We see it in how he forgives his enemies even to the point when he was dying. And we see it when he turns to us And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. You see, when he goes on downward descent, he invites us to come with him. As we live between the edges of Jesus' life, we can imagine, and we need to imagine, the feeling of bewilderment that the disciples went through, right? Christ is here and he's doing all of those things or many of the things that were expected of the Messiah, but he was not doing them in the way that they imagined. We see the kingdom, but the downward descent hides it from our eyes. We feel the joy in his presence, but there are other kingdoms prospering in the world, especially that of Rome. We witness the incredible power of God in the world with miracles, and then we ourselves quibble over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. We believe, and then we quickly plead, help our unbelief. We all love to rest within a fixed identity, and in one sense, that, that is healthy. But there's a sense in which living in between the times with Jesus Christ forces us to embrace Jesus in a new way. Because you can claim an identity or a status for yourself and you can use that to separate yourself from others. You can use that to lift yourself up above others and you can use that to actually hurt other people precisely because he was in the form of God he reckoned equality with God not a matter of getting but of getting giving and so dissent is ultimately about suffering and this is the hardest message for us to hear He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the Gospels take us by the hand down a pathway of suffering. And we need to hear this message this morning. During this season, we walk with Jesus. We resolutely set our face towards Jerusalem like he did. Or we listen to him and we echo his words, God, if you are willing, take this cup from me but not my will, but yours be done. Of course suffering comes in many different forms in the world. Increasingly we live in what we call a post-Christian world. And we need to embrace the kind of suffering that our brothers and sisters in China are experiencing even today, even right now. This is hard for us, especially those of us in the United States. I was with a a friend, he's from Western Canada, and he told me the story when I was with him of that very week. His son, his 11-year-old son, came home from public school and told him the story of how the teacher stood up in the classroom and said, who is a Christian in this classroom? I want you to stand up. This boy, an 11-year-old boy, and two other kids stood up. And for the next five to 10 minutes, the teacher ridiculed them, calling them fools. Or I remember being in the Cape uh, Town-Luzon meetings, and we had a free day. And in a free day, what are you gonna do? You're gonna visit Cape Town, which is one of the most amazing cities in the entire world. So we got on a bus and we went to Table Rock and we went to the ocean and we traveled all around and at each one of these locations, we got out and we took pictures, we did those things that tourists do, wearing the Mickey Mouse hat, and we were loving life. There were five delegates from Syria on that same bus and they never got off that bus they spent the entire time singing praises to Jesus because they couldn't do that in their own country. And so for us, what was a tourist event for them was a worship service. Or I was just with some leaders of the house churches in China and they were describing some of the persecutions and we need to be praying for what's happening in China. And this one leader turned to me and he said these words which I'll never forget, he said, You know, you would think the Chinese government would have learned by now that when you persecute us, we grow. Now for us, suffering takes many different forms and one of the ways that you can ask yourself the question, how do I relate to suffering? By asking yourself the question, what am I afraid of? You see, fear has become the primary currency in America. We're afraid of losing our status in the world. We're afraid of diversity and new new cultural templates arising through migration. We're afraid of changing mores. We're terrified by the future for our children and our grandchildren and all the kinds of things that they'll have to face. We're afraid of uncertainty, of being rejected by others, and a million other things. And I use the word currency intentionally because fear has a price tag. Its price tag certainly comes in multi billion dollar companies that protect our homes, the internet, the money in the bank, our worldly belongings. But fear also exacts a price from us. It's something we constantly have to pay out of our identity and out of our social relationships. Fear always gets paid. Of course, not all fear is bad. That's not what I'm saying. And some fear actually is helpful. But by focusing on the Gospels, and especially Jesus' downward descent, we turn fear on its head. He empties himself for giving. He takes the form of a slave. He embraces human nature to the fullest. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient To the point of death, even death on the cross. And if this is the pathway of Jesus, how can we think that it's any different for any one of us? But here's the good news. By embracing the pathway of downward descent, we are set free from fear. It can no longer exact any payment upon our lives. For we are walking in the pathway of the one who conquers all fear. Now, personally, as I reflect upon all of the things in my life that are the most valuable to me, all of them have come in association with downward descent. I carry scars upon my body, you do too. They come in the form of deep loss, gripping failures, sicknesses that have racked our bodies, Struggles, groanings too deep for words, tear after tear and deep pains. We look at each other and we don't see these things, but they're, deep, they're there, aren't they? And I want you to know that those things are the things that I cherish the most. I have rarely chosen humility, but many times humility has come a-knocking. And when I have eaten the fruit of downward descent or I have drunk the cup of humility, it has changed me more than I can even explain. And I wouldn't give those things up for anything. And so the other movement of Jesus that we find in the Gospels is the pathway of ascent. Therefore, God highly exalted him. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the in-betweenness of the Gospels are not just about descent, but they are about ascent. And the kingship of Jesus is perhaps one of the most important lessons we can learn from living in between Advent and the cross. Descent and ascent happen simultaneously like a carefully choreographed dance. In the middle bits of the gospel, descent and ascent kiss. And we need to be there when they kiss. We need to allow our lives to actually be the the confluence of both descent and ascent. Because the Christ who is risen takes us with him. He lifts us with him. All throughout the Gospels, we see the kingdom of God breaking into view. In the beginning, it comes like small cracks in a wall that lets these piercing shafts of light break into the darkness and then slowly, Jesus reveals the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, showing us the really real. He forgives sins. He raises the dead. He heals. He loves. He serves. He casts out demons. He reorders economics. And then he silently undresses Pilate in regard to the true nature of power. There's an interesting quote by G.K. Chesterton. He says, shall I tell you the secret of the whole world? It is that we have only known the back of the world. We see everything from behind and it looks brutal. That's not a tree, but the back of a tree. That's not a cloud, but the back of a cloud. Cannot you see that everything is stooping and hiding its face? If only we could get around in front. Sisters, brothers, by immersing ourselves in the middle bits of the Gospels, we get around in front. We see the really real. We embrace the pathway of downward descent, and we are lifted up with Christ into this in-breaking of the kingdom of God, and we begin to see people like we've never seen them before. We begin to see cultures, we begin to see politics, we begin to see our entire world as if we've never seen it. And of course, to do this, we need to embrace a different understanding of kingship than we see in the world, and a different understanding of power. In this Christological passage, we see that different pathway of power, and hence a different kind of king establishing himself over the whole world. So as we live in between Advent and Holy Week, and that's where we are right now, encourage us to embrace in-betweenness to sit there at the kiss of downward descent and upward ascent of Jesus Christ let's embrace all of Christ not just the margins of the Gospels but also the middle bit because what we find in this world we cannot have too much of Jesus Christ We need to ask for that gift by the Holy Spirit. We need to embrace ambiguity, and we need to embrace suffering. Of course, this is the hardest message of all. We need to allow ourselves to feel the uncertainty of not knowing where everything is headed, but trusting all the same that Jesus is Lord over everything. We need to walk with Jesus through the everydayness of life and see how he reorients everything, how he shows us the really real. And finally, and please hear me on this, don't be afraid. Jesus is seated on the throne though the world feels like it's splintering into a million pieces with evil ravaging all over the globe, doing whatever it pleases, though other kingdoms stand and beat their chest, and though the Christian community tears itself to pieces, we are reminded that Jesus enters this world and goes through a pathway of descent. And then he is lifted over everything. He is the only power capable of holding everything together for the redemption of all things, Paul says in Ephesians 1.10. And I love the words to the hymn that we will now sing, This is My Father's World. The lyrics, especially the third stanza, speaks to those of us who are living in between the times. The lyrics say, This is my father's world, oh, let me ne'er forget. That though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world, why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King, let heavens ring. God reigns, let earth be glad. Allow the in betweenness of this season to nurture a deeper unity in the person of Jesus Christ. Follow the pathway of ascent and you will also be lifted up with Christ who is seated over all things and you will not fear anything for he is with you.